the Bible, the book that has changed the world by changing lives around the world. Men and women, young and old, the Bible has changed my life. The love, stability, and hope that I need, they're all found in the Bible. The Bible gives me hope that a new day is coming. The Bible is helping me see what really matters. The Bible Live is a -a one-of-a-kind, first-time-in-history radio program. Offering you the chance to hear a 15 to 20 minute Bible reading each weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Hear the scriptures, then call in with your comments and questions. This is the best show in the world. Well, actually, I was speaking against everything you were talking about before, and uh, now I, I stand humbly corrected. I'm a pastor, and our people really need to know the word more. The Bible also transformed the life of your Bible Live host. A full-blooded Apache Indian, born out of wedlock and abandoned at birth. Soapy Dollar was found in a big city alley by a kind-hearted fortune teller, then passed around to 16 families before he was six years old. Placed in a home for homeless and delinquent boys, Soapy Dollar heard the Bible's life-changing message at the age of eight, and the course of his life was changed. He's an American Indian guitar play it all around rodeo cowboy. I keep my thumb between the pages and my heart in the book. With more degrees than a thermometer and over 40 years of introducing folks just like you to the God of the Bible. Here is Soapy Dollar. Dun, 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 dun. Good evening, everyone. The music is titled Victory. That's the title of our introductory music. A number of people have asked about that over the years. What is that beautiful music? That's just perfect for the Bible Live. That's what the Bible Live is all about. That's what the Bible is all about. Victory. First, about God and His plan. God has won the victory over wickedness, over evil. He has made a way for you and me as well to experience Victory, victory in Messiah. Well, let's go to our Bible Live readings tonight. We're starting a brand new book, actually a couple of books, the books of First and Second Samuel in the Hebrew Scriptures. We completed the Gospel of Luke just last evening, the longest of the four Gospels. Now we're returning to the Hebrew Scriptures, picking up in the books of First and Second Samuel. As you remember, we left the people of Israel at the end of that 325, 350-year period of the Judges. We read from the time Joshua led the people of Israel into Canaan with their conquest of the city of Jericho. And then, of course, on through a seven-year period of war, then they allotted different regions of the Promised Land to the different tribes. Each tribe was then responsible to clear out their territory, which they did not. And, of course, it causes them tremendous problems. Now, the first 350 years or so, they do not have a king. They are to follow the Lord. But the theme of the book of Judges was each man did what was right in his own eyes. And that's where we're coming in America as well. Anarchy seems to reign. Everyone grabbing all they can and using every means they can to sack the public treasury, as our politicians are busy doing even as we speak. When a country loses their sight of God, they lose their moral and spiritual bearings, things fall apart very quickly. That's the lesson from the book of the Judges. But we did read that sweet story of Ruth, how the good people are able to live for God even in the midst of the chaos. 
Now we move from the judges to the time of Samuel. He's a transition personality, and I'll be telling you more about Samuel and about his book in just a moment. Right now, though, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, the beautiful Psalm 53, talking about the fact that all have sinned and only God can save us. The Bible life. Psalm 53. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. No one does good. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if there is even one with real understanding, one who seeks for God. But no, all have turned away from God. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not even one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread. They wouldn't think of praying to God. But then terror will grip them, terror like they have never known before. God will scatter the bones of your enemies. You will put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation would come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel. For when God restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. End of reading, Psalm 53. Help me see that everything I am is not all about me. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. This is The Bible Live broadcast, and you are listening tonight to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 and 2 Samuel at one time, one book written, possibly Samuel, but also includes writings from the prophets Nathan and Gad. We're told that in 1 Chronicles 29. We have this historical record of the birth of Samuel, a very unusual person as God calls him to his service, actually beginning with his mother and father, his mother Hannah, and he becomes one of Israel's greatest prophets. So let's go now to the book of 1 Samuel here on the Bible Live. 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 5, 5. 1 Samuel 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jeroam and grandson of Elihu from the family of Tohu and the clan of Zuth. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children while Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah and his family would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the day Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the sacrifice to Penina and each of her children. But he gave Hannah a special portion because he loved her very much, even though the Lord had given her no children. But Penina made fun of Hannah because the Lord had closed her womb. Year after year it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Hannah would finally be reduced to tears and would not even eat. What's the matter, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be so sad just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Once, when they were at Shiloh, Hannah went over to the tabernacle after supper to pray to the Lord. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord Almighty, if you will look down upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. 
He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I'm not drunk, but I am very sad, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Please don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, cheer up. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again, and she was no longer sad. The entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her request, and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah, Penina, and their children went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the baby is weaned. Then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the baby. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and half a bushel of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they took the child to Eli. Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this child, and he has given me my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. And they worship the Lord there. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. First Samuel 2. Then Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. Oh, how the Lord has blessed me. Now I have an answer for my enemies, as I delight in your deliverance. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. The Lord is a God who knows your deeds, and he will judge you for what you have done. Those who were mighty are mighty no more, and those who were weak are now strong. Those who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The barren woman now has seven children, but the woman with many children will have no more. The Lord brings both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes one poor and another rich. He brings one down and lifts another up. He lifts the poor from the dust, yes, from a pile of ashes. He treats them like princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's, and he has set the world in order. He will protect his godly ones, but the wicked will perish in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be broken. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives mighty strength to his king. He increases the might of his anointed one. Then Elkanah and Hannah returned home to Ramah without Samuel, and the boy became the Lord's helper, for he assisted Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. 
Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork. While the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, Take as much as you want, but the fat must first be burned. Then the servant would demand, No, give it to me now, or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. Now Samuel, though only a boy, was the Lord's helper. He wore a linen tunic, just like that of a priest. Each year his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one she gave to the Lord. And the Lord gave Hannah three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from the people about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. Meanwhile, as young Samuel grew taller, he also continued to gain favor with the Lord and with the people. One day a prophet came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord. Didn't I reveal myself to your ancestors when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt? I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all his relatives to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the priestly garments as he served me. And I assign the sacrificial offerings to you priests. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you honor your sons more than me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The terrible things you are doing cannot continue. I had promised that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests. But I will honor only those who honor me and I will despise those who despise me. I will put an end to your family, so it will no longer serve as my priests. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will live to a ripe old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. Those who are left alive will live in sadness and grief, and their children will die a violent death. And to prove that what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I tell him to do. I will bless his descendants, and his family will be the priests to be my anointed kings forever. Then all of your descendants will bow before his descendants, begging for money and food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests, so we will have enough to eat. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 
1 Samuel 3. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel was serving the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had just gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel! Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He jumped up and ran to Eli. Here I am, what do you need? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go on back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel! Again Samuel jumped up and ran to Eli. Here I am, he said, what do you need? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go on back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So now the Lord called a third time. And once more Samuel jumped up and ran to Eli. Here I am, he said, what do you need? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, Go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, Yes, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before, Samuel! Samuel! And Samuel replied, Yes, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I am going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family. I have warned him continually that judgment is coming for his family because his sons are blaspheming God, and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Samuel stayed in bed until morning, then got up and opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him, but Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son, here I am, Samuel replied. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything, and may God punish you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks best. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said was wise and helpful. All the people of Israel from one end of the land to the other knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. And Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Samuel 4 At that time Israel was at war with the Philistines. The Israelite army was camped near Ebenezer and the Philistines were at Aphek. The Philistines attacked and defeated the army of Israel, killing 4,000 men. After the battle was over, the army of Israel retreated to their camp, and their leaders asked, Why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Then they said, Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, it will save us from our enemies. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, helped carry the Ark of God to where the battle was being fought. When the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud that it made the ground shake. What's going on? the Philistines asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the Ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before. 
Who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Fight as you never have before, Philistines. If you don't, we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours. So the Philistines fought desperately and Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite men died that day. The survivors turned and fled to their tents. The Ark of God was captured, and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. A man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the battlefront and arrived at Shiloh later that same day. He had torn his clothes and put dust on his head to show his grief. Eli was waiting beside the road to hear the news of the battle, for his heart trembled for the safety of the Ark of God. When the messenger arrived and told what had happened, an outcry resounded throughout the town. What is all the noise about, Eli asked. The messenger rushed over to Eli, who was ninety-eight years old and blind. He said to Eli, I have just come from the battlefront. I was there this very day. What happened, Eli demanded. Israel has been defeated, the messenger replied. Thousands of Israelite troops are dead on the battlefield. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed too, and the Ark of God has been captured. When the messenger mentioned what had happened to the Ark, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was very old and very fat. He had led Israel for forty years. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near her time of delivery. When she heard that the Ark of God had been captured and that her husband and father-in-law were dead, her labor pains suddenly began. She died in childbirth, but before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she did not answer or respond in any way. She named the child Ichabod. Where is the glory? Murmuring, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her husband and her father-in-law were dead. Then she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Samuel 5 After the Philistines captured the ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the city of Ashdod. They carried the ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside the idol of Dagon. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord. So they set the idol up again. But the next morning the same thing happened. The idol had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. This time his head and hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. That is why to this day neither the priests of Dagon nor anyone who enters the temple of Dagon will step on its threshold. End of reading, 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 5, 5. Even in the little things that never seemed too big to me And the things I thought didn't matter much at all Throughout the book of Samuel, the theme of God's holiness we are so very comfortable with the theme of God's love, God's grace, God's forgiveness. We start getting uncomfortable when we move into the area of God's holiness, God's righteousness, and in particularly God's judgment. The idea that God is capable and worthy 
of judging humanity, judging individuals. He can judge rightly, fairly our thoughts, our attitudes, our decisions, our lives. That's the theme of the psalm that we read tonight, Psalm 53. One of the things we saw in that psalm is that the question of God's existence is not an intellectual question. There is plenty of evidence for anybody who has any kind of objectivity to conclude rationally, intelligently, that yes, there is a designer, there is a God, there is a creator, there is a spiritual realm beyond our understanding. There is plenty of evidence. You don't need special revelation, the Bible, to even know that. We can look even at general revelation, the world around us, the seasons of the year, the creation, especially now that we study the stars and understand, we can see that there is design, there is pattern, there is intelligence in creation. And then especially as we look at the earth itself, the more we learn about this world, the seasons and the animal kingdom, everything about it. And then, of course, when we look inside human nature, human beings forever have been worshiping creatures. God has placed his God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. There is consciousness itself, self-awareness, and the gift of objectivity and thought, rational thought, that comes from our Creator. And then, of course, there's conscience. Not just consciousness and awareness, but conscience, that sense and awareness of, of right and wrong. This is all a part of recognizing that God does exist, that he is there. But when it comes to his judgment and his telling us what is right and wrong and his causing us to make a decision, um, people rebel against that. And we're going to see that now more and more reflected here in, I think, very much in the books of First and Second Samuel. We're going to watch it in the life of Eli, this priest. He begins great, but he has a tragic ending because his sons are undisciplined. They are perverted. They pervert justice. They take bribes. We're going to see it in the life of Samuel, who has the same kind of experience with his own family life and children. And we're going to watch that in the life of Saul as well, the first king of Israel. What a beautiful picture, though, we have tonight in Hannah of a woman of faith and devotion to God as she comes and God's purpose is carried out in her life, his wisdom and his power. Uh, it looks like Mary, the mother of Jesus, crafted her prayer, the Magnificat, on the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel. As with every book of the Bible, there are going to be some very unique lessons and, and, and very individual lessons. The scriptures will speak to your heart. God will speak to your life, the decisions and the challenges that you're facing. Clearly here, God is at work, and we're going to see him at work in the lives of some very specific people actively involved in the life of Eli as he judges Eli's sons for their bribery, for their perversion of justice. We see God's hand of judgment. Even after 40 years of faithful service, he was a successful priest, but a terrible parent. Also, we're going to see God at work in the life of Samuel in the same way and in the life of Saul. Three men who begin well, but none finishes well. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. 
You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 